Hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's 3-3 in the European Cup final! Okay, welcome along to the Red Agenda, the definitive podcast for Liverpool fans wherever you are. Uh, each week, myself, Steve Hoversall, alongside the Athletics' dedicated Liverpool writers, James Pearce and Simon Hughes, uh, will bring you reaction, analysis, debates, insight, hopefully, into Liverpool Football Club. And we have a full team. This week, he's been brought in off the bench, out of the cold. <laughs> Simon Hughes. Thank you, Steve. Has actually made it to the studio. Good to see him in the country, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think we're allowed to say, are we? Um, what was going on stage, with your life? Yeah, I was, I was on an assignment abroad last week, which obviously didn't <clears throat> coincide particularly well with the launch mm. of this this excellent podcast. But I believe I, I, I believe it went fantastically without me anyway. So the Numbers were very high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so what's the numbers slump <laughs> now they hear me speak? It's like team performances. You've, you've got to keep on a, a steady level, haven't you? Look, we've got loads we can talk through this week. I think we're going to touch on uh, stadium expansion, Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho. Um, but let's kick it off from reaction at the weekend. Another 2-1 win for Liverpool. So Liverpool have had 7 of 13 league victories uh, as 2-1 scorelines. Not kept a clean sheet in September. Does it matter or does it not? James did an excellent piece about Liverpool's best start to a season and yet there's sort of rumblings of discontent <laughs> amongst people. Is this something you just picked up from going to the game internally inside Anfield or is it something you felt has been much wider on social media and conversations you've been having around the city? Do you know what? I've heard a bit of all of that really, yeah, from conversations with fans being at the games, I think, and just sensing that kind of anxiety and nervousness around at, at times and and then certainly on social media, which you know, probably, as we all know, social media is not, probably not the best gauge. But yeah, certainly, you know, you feel it inside the stadium and I think... It just goes back to the fact it's been so long since Liverpool last won the title. Fans won it so much, and there's that almost that feeling of they're they're not allowed any kind of hiccup. That you any any sign of any weakness, people get concerned and and agitated, and and sometimes that does transmit onto the field. I think, and you could certainly sense it at the weekend. You know, as soon as Allison, you know, got sent off, and you know, and Dunk took the the quick free kick and pulled it back. You know, the nerves were jangling around the place and you know even before that you know even at 2-0 when Liverpool were relatively cruising early in the second half there was people around us near the press box who were kind of screaming at them to go for the go for the kill and mentioning about goal difference and all the rest of it and uh, it just I, th- I think it just all it, it just shows you how much people crave it that much that I think sometimes they can't just take a step back and go do you know what what we're witnessing at the moment? We're absolutely privileged that this is no Liverpool team in history has put together this kind of run. It might not always be sparkling football, but I think I was speaking to Jan Mulby, who said, you know, it's, it's a complete misconception that great Liverpool teams of the past just absolutely battered teams week in, week out. They didn't. He said, you know, winning titles is about grinding out wins and showing that resilience and this current team have got that in abundance. So the, if the substance is the points that they're racking up, obviously there's style Style over substance isn't really quite what we're after this mm. season, is it? It's substance. It's it's points. Well, if if you look at Liverpool's performances over the last couple of seasons under Jurgen Klopp, you know, b- before Christmas, they haven't been scintillating in, in any of those seasons, mm. really. You know, they, they've accumulated a reasonable number of points without playing well. They, they tend to play a bit better and score more goals in the second half of the season, it seems to me. 
Uh, or at least that's the feeling around the club in each of those seasons. I mean, I, I was in the main stand on Saturday and there was there was one guy, who, you know, pretty much for the whole of the first half was just complaining about everything that was going on. And <laughs> um, even when you were 2-0 up, it wasn't enough. And that sort of mood spread in the area that I was in. And then it got worse when when uh, Brighton pulled the goal back. Um, and I, I did actually end up sort of making the point. It says, you know, you've got to, these are the moments you've got to stay with the team. And I, I actually thought after Brighton made it 2-1, Liverpool defended really well. You know, they, they, they looked really organised. I don't think they had, they had one more chance, which obviously Adrian spilled. But, you know, they, they, were, they were quite, you know, uh, quite well organised, I thought. It wasn't mm. like backs of the wall sort of feeling. If you strip away all your sort of personal investments in, in, in what's going on, I, I thought it was, it was a good last 10 minutes from Liverpool under difficult circumstances. But, you know, they, they haven't been... They haven't been playing the best football uh, of the Klopp era in the first half of the season. But I just think that it's since the Champions League, I think they've learned how to win matches now. You think back to that Champions League final where I remember the week before that game, Jürgen Klopp was asked about which team will win this this final. He said it's the team that makes the least amount of mistakes. And I think in that final, Liverpool players and the team and the club, you know, the, the, the people around the players learned that you, you, you don't have to play your most... Buccaneering football to win football matches, particularly you know when it really matters. And Liverpool now are you know are in an amazing position, eleven points ahead. You know at the start of the week anyway. And even after after the game, I was walking down uh, Breck Road, and there were people talking. Oh well, they had ten points last season, and they threw it away. And I was like, well, this is the way like sort of history gets forgotten a little bit. Like last season, they had ten points. City had a game in hand, and then played Liverpool the next game. Yeah. So very quickly, it was four points. Yeah. It wasn't like they had ten points for a long period of time. And equally, the fixtures sort of it was a bit slanted, you know, in the way people were looking at it. You know, it's ten points, yeah, but City had a game in hand, and then they played Liverpool. So it's a different sort of feel. And I, I think now that they're really is it a real frustration? I don't think it is. I just think people forget what a successful team actually looks like as well, particularly until they actually go and do it. I still think the level of trust might not be there. I think that the, there's, a, there's a trust between the fan base and the team more so than there has been in any other periods over the last 30 years. But I still think until they actually get there and do it, you know, it's like it's like with the Champions League at the moment. Napoli the other night, I'd say the crowd was quite flat. I'd, I'd say that's because there's more of a trust, it seems to me, in this team. Oh, well, they're going to do it eventually, aren't they? It's almost gone the other way with the Champions League games because that's the way Liverpool tend to, to mm. get through. They always leave it to the last game. And if we don't beat Napoli, it's not the end. I, I mean, I wasn't in, I wasn't at Anfield the other night, I must say, but listening to what people have been saying, it said, you know, the atmosphere is quite flat. And I think that's because people just think that in that competition, they're going to get through. They'll, so they'll it, do it. They'll do it. Yeah. James, do you think it was a nervousness at the weekend when, you know, Liverpool were getting to, uh, looking to get something out of that game with, with Brighton? Yeah, I, 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 I in did the crowd more, more in the crowd than on the on the pitch. To be honest, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think you know you can't underestimate the the difference to your week preparation for a game when you've got a full week on the training field compared to a real energy sapping game against Napoli on on Wednesday night, which effectively makes Thursday and Friday recovery days, and then you're back into a game again. So there's very little, and you know, and that and that is effectively Klopp's life and and the life of his backroom staff for the next. Only five, five Just or six Just getting them weeks. ready for match day all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's unrealistic to think that this Liverpool team are just can just go out and try and blitz teams. And I think we saw that at two. Now Liverpool still had d- decent chances, you know. And it, you know, 
three or four really good chances. I mean, Dunk made a couple of you know brilliant blocks. You know, Matt Ryan, the keeper, a couple mm. of great saves. If one of those chances goes in, the, the game's dead, and, and we're talking about an emphatic Liverpool win. I mean, the, the last time Liverpool conceded two, well, two or three goals at home haven't been two 0 up. I mean, I can't remember when that was, and so I think you've got to make some allowances for the team in this situation. The two 0 up against Brighton, they've got Everton coming up the following week. You know, they've got a busy schedule. I think a lot of people have spoken about December being, you know, the, the killer month. I think January is the month where Liverpool have slipped up really over the last. You know, few years. That's the one month that Klopp hasn't quite mastered. I must admit. And if you look at the fixtures that Liverpool have got in that month, Man United, Tottenham, and Wolves away. It's not an easy, easy run of games. Uh, I think that's the month that they've got to be really ready for. I think December's actually quite manageable in terms of the opponents that they're facing. You know, Leicester on Boxing Day is obviously a big game, but I, I just think that I felt that as soon as they went two 0 up on Saturday, it felt like that to me anyway. The team gave the the feeling that they felt well the game they're not going to come back from this. People might say, well, that's complacent, but look at Liverpool's record over the last two to three years at home. It probably merits that level of confidence that we can just contain this now. Obviously, Brighton, you know, I thought played some really good football at times, you know, yeah. through the midfield, a better team than people think. I also think that people's expectations of football teams can be a bit unrealistic sometimes. I mean... <laughs> Maybe you know this Barcelona age of <clears throat> Barcelona just absolutely pulverizing opponents and, and winning the, the the title. That's not the way it really ever has been in, in the Premier League. Even Manchester City have found it hard at certain points of the season when they've won the league the last few seasons. They found December quite hard last season. Remember they lost a few games. So I just think that Liverpool, you know, at this moment in time, as James says, they've got a lot of games coming up. I think they are all winnable games, but. You know, you can't just go out and waste all your energy in, in those games. Do, do you think Klopp's almost a little bit of a victim of the um, of the standards he set last season? So, of course, they, they didn't win the league, but came so close, but did it in that buccaneering yeah, style. I think, yeah, I think that's And almost it, now, I think that there is that feeling. And, you know, I get it when I'm sat in Anfield. The guy next to me at the weekend was saying, yeah, but it's not as much fun watching this. <laughs> You know, but it's what do what, what, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a victim I, of his own success, I think, maybe. You yeah, know? I think there is part of that. I mean, Klopp. When I did the interview with him down at Melwood the other week, he said, "Then he said, look, I know what people think." He said that, that people think we need to win every single game to win this league. He said, despite despite the cushion, he said, I know that people think, you know, one bad result and it will be, oh my, you know, here we go again. You know, it's it's slipping away. Um, and you know, and he he said, you know, the difference was he said last season you had you had City, who you know what, what did they win fourteen on the spin I think to win to win the league, mm. and um, he said you know people are assuming that our other that our our rivals are going to be putting together runs like that again, and I think you know he didn't say in as many words, but you know I don't see another t- you know you could look at City again at the weekend they're nowhere near the same force as they were last season you know Leicester pulled out the fire you know dramatic win against Everton. But you know, are they really gonna gonna put together you know thirteen, fourteen game winning run, which is what, which is essentially what someone's gonna need to do to to catch this Liverpool team. So, um, so it's Liverpool so, season to lose. Really, so, so, yeah. Yeah. they're in an un- unbelievable position. And then, yeah. and, and I know people will say, ah, but defensively vulnerable, not no clean sheet in twelve games in all competitions. Does it matter? You know, do, no, are, we, are we bother they're conceding goals? No, no, I mean, I spoke, Van Dijk stopped after the game in the mix zone on Saturday and said. He said, "You know, yeah, it's frustrating. We're winning games, so you, you know." He said, "It's it's only a negative, really, if it's costing us points, and it's and it's not." And he said, "And that's why I think he made a good point as well that 
all right, people can say, oh, yeah, but it's not sustainable to keep playing averagely in inverted commas and, and grinding out results. You need to, it needs to click. But then I'd, I'd say, well, Liverpool have taken 40 points out of 42 with, with without Salah, I'd say nowhere near the level he can reach. Firmino, you know, still has some great moments in games, but nowhere near as influential as he was for big parts of, of last season. They've had to do without Alisson, best goalkeeper in the world for 10 weeks. Um, that didn't cost them a single point. You know, Fabino again on the weekend. I thought I thought Jordan Henderson did, did excellently filling that that void on the weekend. So they've had they've had a lot of things to contend with, but but they keep on finding a way to keep winning. I'd, I'd like to make a point about the manner that the, the sort of the victories that they've had as well. You know, they've, they've obviously won quite a few games, two one. But each of those games, the sort of the story behind those victories have been different. You know, if you think about Aston Villa, they were behind for a long period of that game. And, and and came back to win with two two late goals, so they had the pressure of of trying to recover in that game. You know the amount of confidence that victory against Villa. I, I if Liverpool were to have this conversation again in May and Liverpool have won the league, I reckon that that's going to be looked back on as one of the big big wins. That because you know it was such a long slog that game, but they still managed to do it. And then obviously Sorry, the Villa game, the Villa game, yeah, yeah the, the yeah. manner of that victory because yeah. everything went against them that day. Every, it was quite the opposite of what people said. They are, yeah, they, they, they should have had two penalties which they didn't, they didn't get, which was never discussed after the game. The reality was everything went against them, and they still won with two late goals. I think when you win with two late goals, it's not luck that is endurance. That's that's a totally different thing to what people, for some reason, people in England seem to think that scoring late is lucky. It's not lucky. It's <laughs> it's it's the opposite of luck. It's actually says a lot about the character in the team. So they won that game. They've obviously. Um, they went behind to Tottenham early at Anfield against a good team and pulled it back and, and beat them. They, they've obviously had the, the benefit of beating Crystal Palace and then them pulling it back and then them still going ahead and winning it. And then they've obviously had the City results in between that where they've they've won three one, haven't developed you know established a really healthy lead and then you know allowed City to come into the game but defended really well to to hold on to that lead. And then you've had the game at the weekend where they've had a comfortable lead which could have. You know, in years gone by, they could have maybe wobbled quite considerably, um, and they've they managed to sort of see that result out. So each game has been different. So I I think the players will take a you know real strength from the manner of the way each of those games have been different and the challenges that they've had to face in those games. It's not just being two one, you know, and they've all been the same game. They've all been different sorts of games with different sorts of challenges. Which I think when you're a player who's desperate to to, to win the league and a team. You gain so much from those they've experiences. Done it, they've done it in different they've done, ways. They've done it in different ways, and they've yeah. done it the hard way in a lot of cases. That's not a bad thing, you know. That'll serve them well in theory in the second half of the season. We know that the Liverpool team tends to get you get January out the way in each of those seasons, and they, they, they tend to, that's when these they tend yeah. to click, mm. you know. In each of the seasons of the last three or four years, when when Klopp's been there, so. I'd, I, I'd agree with you. I think Villa was the big one in the season so far, but for some reason Sheffield United away stands out to me as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there will be a lot of games that you will list come the end of this season yeah. and well, say, I, well, I think look nine, how they affected. Yeah. But I think it's is it, I think it's nine out of thirteen have been by one goal. Hmm. So you know that's you know hmm. it, it's it's not it has been hard hard work. I mean, even even from from a journalistic point of view, how many how many games has there been this season where? A journalist has been able to, to to get cracking on their report in the last 15, 20 <laughs> no minutes chance, with the game James. done and dusted. Absolutely <laughs> well, not a chance. That, that, that Villa game, I, I was I, I was uh, covering for James. That's I think he was on holiday somewhere. And um, <laughs> and uh, so I, and uh, there was the Aston Villa report from the Athletic was sitting next to me. And as soon as they equalised, I just said, 
you could see the Villa players that it was almost like we've managed to hold out for this long. They, they almost lost all their energy drained from them. I, I nudged them and I said, Liverpool are going to get a winner here. You can just feel the way it was going and that they did, you know, and it, I just think it says a lot about the, the team, that performance. And since then, you know, I don't think there's any harm. I can understand, you know, the debate around it, don't get me wrong. You know, you ideally want to be winning more comfortably. But I think that a team, when they win narrowly, they, they gain a lot from that because, you know, you, you know how what it's like. That's real pressure. That That's real. The real they, they face so much pressure this season already, this Liverpool team, and managed to get through those moments. So I just think it'll serve them well, you know, going into the second half of the season, providing, you know, Van Dijk stays fit. That I think he's crucial. If he, if he were to get injured, that, that would... That would be an enormous blow. I don't think you can replace him at all. Um, but, you know, I think of the, the injuries. I, I thought at the start of the season, if whoever has the least amount of injuries and is managed, is able to absorb those injuries will, will probably win the league because Man City last season, you know, won the league by one point. And already this year, you know, they've been without Sane all season and the, the main centre-half. That, that, that makes a big difference to their season, I think. Two years ago, he's up against Dudek. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! <laughs> yes! European champions! Jersey Dudek with a penalty save. Right, this is the Red Agenda, uh, the Liverpool podcast on The Athletic every week. And of course, uh, James Pierce, Simon Hughes, and myself, Steve Hoversall, will be with you weekly and it's one of 11 shows being launched by The Athletic and amongst those is the Ornstein and Chapman show hope those boys are plugging us I'm going to say it every week <laughs> um, right just in terms of the players let's, let's focus in individually so there's a couple of them who have been consistent performers this season and there's some who perhaps have had a harder time so for example Mane's been very much a leader Fabinho when he's played has been and then you've got perhaps the like of like some Mo Salah, who um, who's struggled a little bit with form, but maybe struggled with injury as well. I say struggle with form; he's he's still done all right on his goal return, hasn't he? But he's not quite the Mo Salah of last season, and I think you could see that on his face when he got substituted at the weekend. The manager subbed him, I think, to protect him for a big month ahead. Yeah, but yeah. But I don't think Mo perhaps saw it that way. No, he, I mean he hates getting taken off, doesn't he? I think, but you could you could see that you know there wasn't. Usually, there's a quite a lot of warmth, isn't there, between Klopp mm. and when when he brings a player off. But you could tell that that Mo Salah wasn't. wasn't icy day, icy look. Yeah, it, it certainly was. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think it was frustration. It hadn't been hadn't been his day. I think you, know, you mentioned earlier on, you know, Klopp being a victim of his own success. I think you could say the same about Salah to a mm. degree because you know he set such ridiculous standards in that first year at Anfield. You know, what was it, forty four goals in all competitions. Only only Ian Rush has ever bettered that in Liverpool's entire history. So, you know, he's you know it was it was impossible for him to 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 live up to that kind of billing. I mean, yeah, goal goal wise, I think he's still ahead of where he was at this stage last season. He started last season relatively slowly, of course, on the you know on the on the back of the of the World Cup and the injury issues he'd had. And well, he's got nine goals, so six in the Premier League. Yeah, nine nine in total. I mean, that's 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 not bad, is it? But it's it's just again, it, it's not. It, he's not lighting up games, is he, in the same way as as we as we we were, you know, became accustomed. Well, producing to. those moments, those standout moments. So, for example, you might have seen him on the dead ball line in recent seasons, and he would dribble it past and yeah. slot it through a, hmm. you know, through the keeper. He's, he's not quite producing that spectacular moment week in week out, is he? If you look at it, I mean, it, that first season, as James says, his his record was phenomenal. 
I think teams spent a lot of tra- time trying to figure out how to stop this Liverpool team. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that they've succeeded in doing that, but I think in their desperate attempts to, to particularly to stop, you know, the front three, this has afforded a lot more space for people like Trent and, and Andy Robertson to play in, really. So, although they might be, when I say stop, you know, that they're, they're having some success in them, those players not being quite as productive on the goal scoring front or the assist front. In the space left behind, it's allowing people like Trent and, and, and Andy Robertson to be a bit more creative because you can't mark five players all the time. It's it's almost impossible, isn't that? You know, there's the, the threats are all everywhere at Liverpool. You know, with this Liverpool team, so you know, I I just think the I think he actually started the season quite well. Sally, he looked quite sharp. I thought the first couple of games, and then I would suspect that you know the second half of the season that the I can't believe that Liverpool in this position with the front three not really clicking in the way that they have yeah. you know in years gone by so you, you're confident Mo will get back on track. I think he will I'm yeah. sure we had a, a conversation a year ago saying the front three aren't firing together I think it's too easy a conversation to have isn't yeah, well, it I just, sometimes you know Firmino's a very important player for, for Liverpool isn't he and he hasn't been at his best I think he he, he allows the other two players up front with him to, to yeah. play and give gives them the space and He's obviously had a long, um, <clears throat> a long summer where he's been playing in the Cop in America as well. That gets forgotten. He didn't have a huge break. I remember last season at the start of the season, Jurgen Klopp was speaking about his summer away, being at the World Cup, and then I think his words were, "Well, he had a Brazilian summer holiday, which means that basically, you know, he went out and partied for, for two weeks <laughs> and then came back and didn't start that season particularly." Strongly, he's a he's a he's a player I'd expect to get better as well. So if he gets better, that increases the threat levels, which will allow, you know, I think um, Salah and, and Mane to 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 be, you know, at their at their very best. Right. Well, from the front, let's go uh, to the back, and of course the goalkeeping position, and have a talk about Allison and the incredible run that Liverpool were, are on at the moment as well. And we'll do that with Bruce Grobelar as he joins our show on the Athletic. Uh, Bruce, welcome to the Red Agenda. Thank you very much. It's beautiful being on your show. Um, just start off with it, this run that Liverpool are on, Bruce. Um, 31 games unbeaten, and it equals the sequence that you were involved in between May 1987 and March 1988. So what, what was the secret to it when you were doing it? Just carry on winning. That was it. We, were, we had the winning uh, mentality. Every, every game you go out there and you do the best you can and make sure that you get over the line. Do not lose. Do not lose. Simple as that. Now, of course, you played some brilliant football with that team as well. We were just talking about the fact that maybe a few people have become a little bit frustrated perhaps with some of the football they're, they're seeing from Liverpool. Did, you can't have just played brilliantly week in, week out back then. Uh, we were told that if we carried three players in the football team, we wouldn't win. So we made sure that we could only carry two, play, two players. That means two players have got to have a bad game and then we'll be OK. If three have a bad game, we're in trouble. And this is what this team is doing. We haven't played well. They are... They are going to smash some team very shortly. But until then, we have to get over the line. We haven't gelled up front. Uh, the midfield is misconfigurated. Uh, and then the front three are not the same as they were last season. Believe it. It's, it's going to come that they're going to twig and they're going to gel and we're going to smash a team more than six goals. All right, Bruce, it's Simon. Um, 
just, just, just one question about, you know, when a team wins narrowly, say like 2-1 the way Liverpool have been winning quite regularly recently, do, do, does the team gain a lot of confidence fr- from those sort of narrow victories in a way that, you know, that, that they might not, if, if they win 4-0 every, every game, you know, it, it becomes quite easy. Whereas whether, when you win 2-1, you know, and the pressure's really on, does it make a big difference to the sort of the mentality and the belief of the team that you can go through those those periods where where it's a, it's a bit tighter rather than when it's it's a lot easier? It gives you a sense of relief when you when you're winning these two one games. You know that you could could play better. You should be playing better. But when you come over the line, when they get back in the dressing room, they are elated. Believe me, they are going wow. We didn't play well, but we got the result, and this is what's, what, what it's all about. It is boosting for when you're playing like this and winning, to look around and say to yourself, wow, this team we should have been, being, you know, should be beating this team a little bit more. But mind you, the teams that come to Anfield now, they are coming there for a mission. They want to beat Liverpool Football Club because we are the top side at the moment. And that's what we've got to look out for. Not to be complacent, to get out onto the pitch and do the very best you can. Bruce, let's talk about the keeper position. You you are known for your flamboyancy and at the weekend we saw uh, Alison Becker rush out of the penalty area and and handle. Perhaps he could have dealt with the situation differently. Um, You've had moments that you might look back on and think you could have dealt with it differently. Um, what, (laughs) What should he have done, Bruce? Well, if you, if you have a look at it, you could have headed the ball, but, you know, it, it was instinct. The keeper needs, needs to use his hands. If he had pulled his hands away, it would have hit him in the throat and it would have been okay. But, you know, in saying that, he, he, had, he came out, he needed to uh, stop a situation where they were on, a, on the attack. So I, I feel a little sorry for him. Maybe he wants to go back to Brazil for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, just just in terms of uh, Adrian and the goal Liverpool conceded on 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 Saturday, what obviously he's he's the one left red faced. He was still trying to sort out the wall when Lewis Dunk rolled that into the net. W- would you have liked to have seen you know, a defender almost stood over the ball to try and stop them from taking it quickly and and also uh, actually, you know, absolutely. But, no, when you're talking about standing over the ball, that's the first thing we should do. Yeah. Until the referee pulls out the yellow card, stand over the ball. My goodness. You know, it's it's not hard. It's yeah. Not rocket science. Yeah, and, and difficult for him to get suddenly get, get thrown in at the deep end like that on the on the weekend. But he, he, he's now starting the Merseyside derby at Anfield on Wednesday night. Have you got full confidence in him to to be able to fill that fill that void? Oh, absolutely! Look how he played in the first ten games. It was absolutely brilliant. And I'll tell you what: if he plays well, Allison might find himself struggling to get back in the side. <laughs> well, well, Adrian's always said, hasn't he? That he doesn't want to call himself the number two. He he almost likes to feel himself as he's as he's vying for the number one spot. That's right, isn't it, Jay? Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what he said when he came yeah. in. And you know, I think he certainly played like that, didn't he? When you know, he didn't he didn't play like someone who felt as if he was just keeping the keeping yeah. the gloves warm for someone else. He was he he did really well. When you think you know, he had a crazy few weeks, didn't he? When he first arrived from mm. from from coming off the bench against Norwich after. After Allison damaged his calf, and then you know, it was the Super Cup where you know one minute it looked like he was going to be the villain, we give him away the penalty, and then he's the hero in the shootout, and then he gets taken out by the fan, didn't he, in the celebration? So then he ends up playing playing at Southampton the following weekend, after, dosed up on painkillers. But 
What a as, Liverpool as career. Said, he did, yeah, he did. You know, he did it. He did a really, really good job before, and um, yeah, you know, I, th- I think realistically, I think he knows that whatever happens against Everton, he'll be on the bench at, at Bournemouth uh, come Saturday. But um, he's he's proved to be a really shrewd acquisition, and you know, a, a lot of number two goalies might wait years for for an opportunity. You know, as, as it is for him. You know, he's had he's had some really really big games under his belt at Liverpool already. Bruce Fannell thought. Obviously, you were in the side when Liverpool last lifted the. Um... The the trophy, the league trophy, you know, you got quite a few under your belt. Can can you quite believe how long we're talking now? Cheapest, we 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 are talking uh, thirty years, three, isn't it? Thirty years, three decades. And I tell you what, we don't have to look at that one first. We're going to have a look at the World Club Championships first. That's the one that they're going to go and get. And once we get that, we will be the only club in the world to win a treble before Christmas. Is <laughs> <laughs> there and and then once that happens they'll go on a run and we will win the league. I've got it I feel it in my water. <laughs> Always special to talk with you Bruce. Thank you very much indeed. All the very best and all the very best to the listeners. Cheers Bruce. Take care that's Bruce uh Grobbler. Well, you never quite get what you think you'll get when you talk with Bruce. He's um, he's got his own thoughts on on everything. I mean, fascinating to hear what he, what he thinks about that wall and and how that could have been prevented. But he's someone who's got full confidence in Adrian. And I think we we all think we've got a brilliant number two keeper there at Liverpool. Yeah, well, <clears throat> shouldn't call. I've got to be. Two, I, I've got to be honest. James James might have a slightly different view on this. I, I don't know, but you know, Simon Mignolet had a lot of chances at Liverpool, mm. you know, over a long period of time. You know, we, um, you know, I don't know a, a Liverpool goalkeeper that that, that sort of had um, as many opportunities as he had. You know, from the point of going in, going out, coming back in, going back out. You know, he was in and out, in and out. But I just felt he wasn't quite at that level. You know, that Liverpool needs. You've got to be an enormous personality to be able to shrug off. You know, you're gonna any goalkeeper's gonna make mistakes for Liverpool, and when you make a mistake for Liverpool, it's magnified in a way that it wouldn't be at another club. Alisson came in with a well at the time a world record fee, and within the first month had made one or two errors. You know, particularly embarrassing one against Leicester. Let's have it right. If another goalkeeper had made that mistake and it had contributed towards a defeat, then it would be something to be getting shown time and time again. And I think he he's not just a very good goalkeeper; he's got a very you know strong personality. Adrian seems quite similar to me. You know, he's he's sort of. Some of the, you know, you, you listen to some of the, the voices out of the dressing room where he's, he's quite a loud personality, you know, he's got a loud voice, you know, he's he's confident, he's not somebody who seems to dwell on mistakes. I think he's been a big improvement on what Liverpool had before. Um, you know, and if Liverpool were to win the title this season, I think, you know, his, his, his contribution, particularly in those early, early weeks, you know, as, as Bruce says and as James has said, I wouldn't say they necessarily missed Alisson massively in that period and you've got to give him a massive amount of credit for, for coming in from the cold as well because he was on you know in the park in, in Seville No but Adrian will have earned his medal won't he? Oh yeah 100% yeah, yeah 100% Right um, we'll talk Merseyside Derby's in just a moment just want to uh, first of all touch upon the expansion of Anfield so uh, the club last week revealed the first details of a public consultation which will see the Anfield road end um, grow in size so we already got this m- Massive monster of a main stand and the Anfield Road End will, when it's finished or when it's obviously passed and finished, uh, complete this huge sweeping ground. Um, the pitches are very impressive. There'll be, what, 7,000 yeah. seats? Yeah, 7,000 extra seats. Extra yeah, seats. Yeah, yeah. There. so we're looking at um, capacity around the 61,000 mark. 
So yeah, went up to Anfield last week, looked at the all the CGI plans, and yeah, you're right, it does look very very impressive. Um, you know, I think about sixty million pound is the is the cost of the scheme, which um, interestingly that Liverpool intend to borrow that money themselves using their existing credit facility, which is a different financial model to when they did the main stand. They actually mm. it was an FSG loan that FSG took out and basically lent Liverpool, and then Liverpool pay. FSG back. I think. I think it's about ten million pound a season. Um, so this is a debt, so is it? Is that just essentially, essentially, yeah. I mean, I think. I think it's a sign of, you know, the, what financial health the club is in. Mm. The, the fact that they're now in a position where they can just go, yeah, we'll just, we'll just borrow the sixty million, and because you know they've they're, they're that financially sound, you know, record revenues, you know, a, a new bumper kit deal with with Nike. You know, you think of the Champions League money coming in. And and this again will will bump up the coffers in terms of match day revenues and it's as anyone will try who tries to get tickets for Anfield will know this is desperately needed because you know it's twenty three thousand people on a season ticket waiting list that, that hasn't even been open I think for probably ten years now you know there's an absolute clamour for for tickets you know Liverpool could you know fill I think I think they would fill seventy eighty thousand most weeks um, is this the, more seats than hospitality by the look of what's yeah it's been about planned? I mean they they said that at this stage it's not the numbers aren't exactly nailed down on in terms of the split but roughly I, I was told about three quarters general gem, the normal seats if you like and then and so and I think probably around a quarter maybe just under a quarter in terms of um, hospitality open to the idea of maybe a naming rights deal for the stand but again similar to the main stand when that got done they said they were open to it they'd have discussions but they never felt that they found the perfect fit you know so they went instead they went down the route of kind of having naming rights for the different mm. lounges within the main stand so they said you know that might be something they need to do so public consultation started last week time scales on this so we uh well pl- planning applications should go in in the spring um and then they were not surprisingly, they were very reluctant to put an actual date on when will this thing be built and open because they'd say, well, it's hypothetical until we get the planning permission, until yes. until we go out to tender, until we so many uh, things sign you... a deal with a construction company. But I, you presume I, not next summer, the summer after. Yeah, wouldn't I mean, I, I I was told if everything goes to plan, summer twenty twenty two would effectively be when it would um, potentially be open. Now may, maybe that might get put put back to twenty twenty three if if the, the the process is slower i probably think probably two things to add one is interestingly similar to the main stand it would be built behind and above the existing structure so the positive thing with that is you wouldn't have a situation where you know the, the capacity was majorly cut during a season which which they managed to do unbelievable i could you know i could struggle to get my head around how they managed to do that with the main stand the fact that we only 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 lost kind of I don't know, like a thousand seats or something until until they, you know, the end of the season, then bang, they move in and, and demolish the existing structure, and then and then build the rest of it. And then I th- you know, the other thing is, from from what I've seen and and read in all the proposals, I think the biggest hurdle to clear, in terms of you know appeasing local residents and and, and will be access to Anfield Road because that you know essentially that they're, they're building over the you know the road will the need road, to be shut. Yeah, won't the it? road will be shut permanently. So yeah. any anyone who you know, who goes, who knows Anfield Road will know that there's bollards at the moment at each end, which the bollards go up on a match day and it becomes a pedestrianised area. Um, but for the rest of the week, you know, that is a through route for, you know, the, the you know, a, a, you know it's, I wouldn't say it's a busy road that's probably overdoing it, but I'm sure there'd be a lot of residents who would think, well, hang on a minute, you know, I, I use that to get from there to there. 
you know, you're, and you're telling me that that road will no longer exist because it was, you know, that essentially where that where the car park is now, the other side of the road, that is that is where the stand will end. It's remarkable, isn't it? These feats of engineering. I worked inside Anfield throughout the summer when they built the new main stand and they literally knocked down the old main stand as they built the new one behind it. And, and in three months, yeah. there's this giant new stadia there. You think you get someone in to do your bathroom, it takes three <laughs> months, don't you? Yeah. Uh, it's taking me longer than that to do IKEA wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. uh, right, this is the Red Agenda. Let's finally shift on to our favourite derby. So depending on when you listen to this, you might still be building up to another Merseyside derby at Anfield, or you might know the results. So I thought I'd reflect with the guys on on some of the, the best ones, the standout ones. So we'll start with yourself, Simon. What makes a Merseyside derby, and what makes your favourite Merseyside derby? I, I think a Merseyside derby is... is I, I mean, I haven't watched enough other derbies in the country to, to, to state this as absolute facts, but I think what does make a Merseyside derby slightly different is certainly the atmosphere inside the ground, that there are... There are large periods of the game where it's very quiet inside both Goodison and Anfield. I think that's just because of the nervous tension <laughs> that exists. Obviously, neither side goes without saying that neither side wants to lose. But I think there's so much concentration going on in both grounds. I remember going through so many Merseyside derbies where there's almost silence and then suddenly something will happen and there's an explosion of noise. You know, it's it's... I don't know if that happens quite the same way in other derbies. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure why that is the case. I think it's just because maybe the makeup of of families in Liverpool is slightly different. Whereby, you know, I, I know so many families where there's there's reds and blues split, and I just think there's that desperation of not want to make a big mistake. It's not even, you know, losing and winning. Sometimes it's like if if you draw and there's a big mistake and there's something really embarrassing that happens like Jordan Pifford will forever be remembered now for what happened last season even he has a great Merseyside derby I think at Goodison last season where he made a couple of vital saves and I know obviously some Evertonians like to think that you know that stopped Liverpool winning the title but it's never become known as Jordan Pickford's derby when he denied Liverpool the other derby at Anfield is remembered for that uh, where obviously he made the howler, but you know, in front of the the cop right at the end of the game. So I think it's just that desperation not to do something that make make a fool of yourself, really, you know, or have a player that does something embarrassing. So for me, I mean, I I like you know when there's a derby when it, it's decided by something dramatic for those. Reasons. I think something always when it's close, something and and there is a winner usually in Liverpool's favour over the last 20 years, you know, the, those moments where something unexpected's happened. So for me, I think back to the 2001 game at Goodison Park when Gary McAllister scored the free kick. I think that was a big turning point in in the rivalry between Liverpool and Everton, actually, which which in many ways, you know, people forget that in the 90s, Everton, Everton's record over Liverpool was pretty good um, in the 90s. You know, they, they won quite regularly against Liverpool. I think Gerard, one of Gerard Houllier's biggest feats actually was turning that on its head. You know, the, from that point onwards, yeah. you know, that they, they lost obviously in 1999 um, against Everton at Anfield. And I know after that game, Houllier obviously felt like sort of the disappointment of that defeat. And thereafter, you know, Liverpool's record in the derby was really good. And I think this game particularly was the one where it, it sort of the mood changed, where it became like, Almost like you know, Liverpool scored in the la- very last kick of the game, almost from a free kick from forty yards, which had no right to go in the back of the net, but it did from a player who was you know supposedly 
you know, past his best by the time he signed for Liverpool and ended up in many ways defining that season, Guy McAllister. And I think that changed sort of the moods amongst Liverpool fans. You know, at the time it was like anything can happen here. We're, we're going to beat you here. And you've seen so many and occasions. We, we've seen it, yeah, haven't we? So many occasions. Last season. Last season, you know, Sadio Mane scored the winner at Goodison yeah. late, really late. I mean, I remember that. I could go on about that game forever because I was working that game and I'd pretty much finished my match report, you know, ready to go, ready to send the same as last season. And I remember I was just about to press send and I remember the groan that went up inside Goodison Park when it said seven minutes, so injury time. It was like, that gave Liverpool so much confidence that I was like, oh my, the whole crowd, you know, like we were talking before about how Anfield felt nervous the other day. It was suddenly the weight <laughs> of the world was on Everton's shoulders. And I just thought Liverpool going to score here because of the way the mood had turned. It's like the Evertonians thought... Because We're going you to never send your match report. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. James, what about you? <laughs> oh, I mean, there has there have been so many to pick from there. Aside from the ones that Simon mentioned there, I mean, I I loved the one, the Gerard hat trick. Um, that would be my that favorite. Was, that was one of my. Yeah. That would be right up there. And I will tell you another one that I, the the All Merseyside FA Cup semi twenty twelve because you know it's tied in with what Simon was saying before. I remember doing an interview with Jamie Carragher before that. And I think I think Liverpool had beaten Everton twice in quick succession. I think it was like that. That was like they ended up beating them about three times in the space of seven or eight weeks, I think, that season. And it was almost, he, he would talk about going into a derby. It was always the fear of losing rather than the joy of winning that, that was the motivational factor because it was just like, we well, just cannot, cannot lose, cannot lose, cannot lose. And then, you know, Andy Carroll didn't have too many special moments as a Liverpool <laughs> player, but, you know, a last-minute winner against Everton at Wembley was up there. But, I mean, in, in terms of, like, just one one moment, one I don't think you can get past that Rigi one last season. Just because if, if you were trying to script how you would want to beat Everton, you know, 96th minute, they, their fans have thrown a flare onto the field, celebrating a nil-nil draw. You know, everyone has pretty much given up hope, you know, and then, and then just everything about that goal, just, you know, the hopeful punt into the box from Trent, you know, the, the sliced volley and Van Dijk turning away in disgust and, and then... Just you know, I I even missed it at the time because you know, I, like like I think most people turned away in disgust when Van Dijk did that, thinking, well, that's it. And then suddenly you you want you, the ball's in the back of the net, and you're wondering how on earth has that happened? And um, you know, if anyone doubts the enduring importance of the Merseyside derby, just look at what that goal did did for Divock Origi because I don't think without that moment, I don't think he he has what happened to him in the second half of last season. I think for many Everton fans, they felt, could you really do any more to us <laughs> over this succession of derbies? For myself, I'd go along with the Gerard Hattrick one. Oh, it's 400th good. Liverpool appearance. Yeah. David Moyes was meant to be celebrating his 10-year anniversary with Everton. The cop was singing 10 more years. 10 more years of Moyes. <laughs> um, and, and I know, having spoken to Stephen Gerrard after the game uh, and subsequent, how much that meant to him. Yeah. And I th just think seeing a scouser score a hat-trick yeah. in a Merseyside derby yeah. in front of the cop for your last couple. Um, I, I don't think you could even script that as a, yeah. as, as a story in itself. And I just remember the, the atmosphere and deflation being suffered by Everton that it, day. It, Suarez was playing as well, and that was key to, to Liverpool's victory, his, yeah. his combination with Gerrard. I think, I think just going back to what James says there, you know, it, it can define a whole player's career, you know, just by one touch of the ball. Mm. You know, like you think about Andy Carroll, he's largely regarded as, a, you know, a bit of a wasteful signing for Liverpool, but you will not hear one Liverpool fan slag him off because of that one goal. <laughs> and every time he goes back to Goodison Park, whoever he's playing for, he gets absolute dogs abuse because they, they know that that, that was that was, a, that was a turning point in, in their history as well because that was a game that Everton should 
should have really have beaten Liverpool. I, I felt on that day, yeah, the first yeah. half, they were the better team. Lap, they, yeah. And for whatever reason, the whole, you know, the nerves and everything came back and Moyes went a bit conservative the second half. Then suddenly Andy Carroll pops up and you will not hear a bad word said about Andy Carroll in the city of Liverpool, from Liverpool fans. You're right, aren't you? And actually, if I throw another couple of names, if I said Dirk Cout, what do you think? Exactly. Kung yeah. Fu kick. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Say Sander Vestervelt. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe not so much. Right? <laughs> yeah, him and Franny Jeffers, but they've all got yeah, Derby yeah, moments, yeah, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. Well, Dirk scored, scored a penalty in that game as well, didn't he? Yes. That that late dart. That's another great a great Derby game. You know, even mm. even you could say, you know, some of the the three three. You know, with the uh, the thirteen fourteen season, Sturridge. Daniel Sturridge, yeah. another late amazing goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I love the 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 Suarez dive in front of Moyes as well. And that was just for little moments because you know there's been all that talk, hasn't there? The build up about Moyes putting pressure on the referee, wasn't he? And you know, he's got to watch out for the diving and all the rest of it. And which player got booked in that game for diving? Phil, Phil Neville. Phil Neville got booked for diving, yeah. Boys, we've got to conclude the red agenda. We could, we could go on and on and on. <laughs> Instead, we'll return next week to reflect on the Merseyside derby and all those other massive moments that, of course, will happen throughout the course of this month. Don't forget, there's 11 different podcasts you can catch up with on The Athletic, all brilliantly tailored to different Premier League clubs. And one which covers the Premier League as a whole, the uh, Ornstein and Chapman show. Uh, This is the Red Agenda, and hopefully we'll have you company in a week's time.